According to a recent survey, over 50% of Americans believe we are living in the last days. Mind you, this is not a biblical or spiritual poll. It is a very simple, generic question. Do you, in fact, believe the end is near? According to the Bible and historical facts over the past 75 years, their beliefs fall exactly in line with what biblical prophecies describe as the last days or the time of the end. In this presentation, we will explore seven specific topics that can be bore out as having come to pass precisely as the Lord indicated will be the signs of his soon coming return. If you are skeptical of the reality of Jesus, please consider joining us for a very candid and open look at recent history through the lens of Scripture. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark. You're watching and or listening to the Russick Outlook. Thank you very much for joining. Today's subject, empirical proof we are living in the last days. I've subtitled this Seconds from Midnight. Now, that may seem like a pretty heady statement. Let me first offer the results of a recent study that was taken in the United States where over 50% of Americans believe that we are living near the end or the end of this age or the end of time as we know it. And this is not a religious poll. This is not a biblical poll. This is just a very generic, do you believe the end is near? And naturally, so many people looking around the world events and, you know, quite understandably, people are concerned. But this has also been going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You know, our, our fascination, if you will, with knowing what the end is or knowing the future. You can go to Nostradamus. You can go to... Uh, the Mayan calendar, uh, you know, you, you can go to many, many different things, and people do, in fact, go to the Bible. And I say with good reason, uh, considering that over 27% of the Bible is prophecy, meaning that the Lord laid things out that were to come. And uh, with that 27%, uh, which is over a thousand prophecies, over half of that have already been fulfilled. I believe it's somewhere short of 700 right now. So, you know, let's just say that the Bible is the only one with a good track record. And in terms of religion or, or spiritual books or holy books, however you want to look at it, the Bible is the only one that lays things out prophetically. It is the only one that states things that will come to pass with that guarantee. Uh, and again, that we've been able to bear this out. But I wanted to go down the path of what do we see, what can we point to in, in recent history that can show us that the end is, in fact, coming <clears throat> with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And, I, and again, if you're not a believer, I would just ask that you sit back and, and try to look objectively to some of the things that I'm going to say. I'm going to point things out from the past 75 years that, you know, many of you who are watching or listening you know, you know this firsthand, or if you weren't, you know, alive at the time, you can certainly look in recent historical records or online, and, and this will be bore out. There's, there's the, the, the evidence that I'm going to lay out is empirical. It is not undeniable. And I'm going to back that up or show you what the Bible had laid out hundreds, if not thousands of years earlier. 
So uh, with that note, before I begin, I'd like to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, please hit the like or subscribe button, ring the bell, comment. If there's information on here that you like or you don't agree with, that's fine. Uh, all comments are welcome. We'd love to hear from you. And also, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I, I would love if you can go to the Russick Outlook, look at our website, and sign up, for, I'm sorry, for our email list where we notify you of not only new videos and audios and podcasts that are coming out, uh, but also we engage with you with uh, a couple of Zoom presentations each month. And, and there's some other things that you would be aware of uh, by being on our email list. We don't do anything else with it. But let me get into this. Uh, I, I find this personally very exciting. I, I, I hope you will. And again, if you're not a believer in Jesus or you, you know, you're kind of sitting on the fence and you're not quite sure, just try to you know, look at this with an open mind and objectively and, and, and see if this registers with you. See if this does in fact make sense. So let me, let me cut to the, to the video here. And again, seconds from midnight. And, and interestingly, and I've, I, let me just get off of that for a second. I've, I've pointed out recently that the there's a group of scientists that have the doomsday clock, and, and they've recently upped the ante or uh, moved the clock to 90 seconds before midnight. And these scientists believe on you know what's happening, world events, uh, the the relationship between nations, wars, uh, and certainly the advancement of technology and um, the, the missiles and the arsenal, and obviously nuclear bombs and, and the threat of that. So they've moved it up to 90 seconds before midnight. And I found it interesting that they use midnight when, in fact, Jesus uses midnight or the midnight hour as well. So, again, let me, let me cut to this. Seconds from midnight. So <clears throat> when I say the last days, what are the last days? Let me, let me preface it by saying... You know, the last days are mentioned by five different writers. I'm going to cut back to me again. Uh, uh, the book of Acts, uh, which, is, which is written by Luke. Um, Second Timothy, uh, which is Paul. Hebrews could be Paul or Luke, and we don't really know. Uh, James and Peter. So five different references to the last days in the New Testament by at least four authors, possibly five. And then if I look to the Old Testament, it's mentioned, it's called the uh, the latter days in Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Micah, and Hosea. And then Daniel also refers to it, but he calls it the end or the appointed time or the time of the end or the end of days. Um, so you, you've got both Old Testament and New Testament references. And I would say before I begin that the end really began with the birth of Jesus on earth. And, you know, that's where a lot of people have been looking for the last two, you know, saying, well, you know, when is Jesus coming back? But there are certain events, that, as I said earlier, that happened in the last 75 years that we're going to point to that really emphasizes just how close, in fact, we are to the end. And we're going to use Jesus's own words. But let me get back to this. So what are the last days? And it, the, so the expression in Scripture describes the final period, and as I said, uh, it is the anticipation of uh, messianic fulfillment. Uh, Peter explains that the events of the day, a day of Pentecost, are the fulfillment of Joel 2.28. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And the author of the letter of Hebrews declares, God spoke of, the, of, of old to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days spoken to us by his son, Hebrews 1.1. So the last days are the days of evangelical blessings in which the benefits 
of salvation, which are procured by the perfect life, <coughs> excuse me, resurrection and death of, uh, of Jesus, which is freely available to all. <coughs> excuse my cough. Um, so these are the days of, of opportunity, I would say, for unbelievers. So again, if it's you, uh, you know, to repent and, and turn to God, but the responsibility of believers to proclaim the message of Jesus. So you noticed, uh, you know, here I sit near the end of February, and I pointed on the video to Asbury, uh, Asbury University, which has had a recent outpouring. Uh, I, I, I think it's gone on for a couple of weeks now where 24-7 they've, they've had this sudden move of God. And these are young college students. But what I wanted to emphasize is it, they, they would have these prayer services, and, and I think three times a week they said, and it was a normal prayer service. They went, the kids, you know, the young men and women. And it started where one person, I'm not sure if it was a boy or a girl, at the very end, just got up and confessed and re, uh, of something that was on their heart, a sin, uh, or, you know, something that was bothering them and troubling them, and they wanted to repent of it. And that, from from the people who were there, it said, it said that kind of started it. And all of a sudden, this Holy Spirit started to move on them. And it's been, you know, 24-7 praise and worship where you've seen people come in from all over the world. I'm not saying that this is the sign of the end, but I do find it interesting, and I wanted to point this out. This isn't one of the signs that I'm talking about in the last 75 years, but it, 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 it began organically with young people, and it began with contrition, with repentance, with them acknowledging before the Lord that you know they're, they're, they're sinners. And you now have people coming in from all over the world who are visiting the campus and, and, and many churches around the country. So it's, it's been a, a, an, an interesting watch, um, so to speak. And, and uh, so I, I just wanted to point that out that I, I personally, and this is just you know my opinion, that I believe this is a move of Holy Spirit and we're seeing it starting to move out into other churches. And people have been praying for many, many, many years for revival in this, in this country and around the world. Uh, so I just found that interesting because this is really what the last days are about. And, you know, as the closer we get to Jesus, that we're going to be calling out to him. And here you have these young men and women doing it. So when we're talking about the last days, I just wanted to frame something. So if you think about what what would you be doing, and um, on, on the video here, I just a couple things I'm pointing out, that if you knew the last few days before school was out, you know, remember when you were in school and, you know, you were, you were getting pumped for that summer vacation uh, or, or a vacation, you know, your last few days of work before you're going, you know, maybe on a uh, a cruise ship or, you know, somewhere in bright and sunny beaches in the Caribbean, perhaps? Or what about the days leading up to retirement? Um, you know, you're looking forward to life where you're not having to get up and go through the grind. Some of you, you know, feel that way. So you look forward to it. You plan for it. You anticipate it. There's a, there's a, there's a heightening, if you will. Well, what about if you're nearing the end of your life? What about for those people who are in hospice care, perhaps? And inevitably, when you're nearing the end of your life, you know, you, you think about what is on the other side. What does eternity look like? And I'm going to start with, well, what, what would you be doing? How would you be feeling 
if you were about to approach Jesus. Because the fact of the matter is, I'll give you the scripture here. Let me go to before meeting Jesus. Romans 14, 11, 12 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, every tongue will confess to God, so then every one of us shall have to give himself an account to God. So according to the Bible, we will have to, in fact, give an account. So when we're nearing the end of our lives, many people who do believe in Jesus look forward with anticipation of what is on the other side. There are many who don't know what is on the other side or, or have that skepticism or fear. There's clearly many people who are fearful. And I would say, you know, eternity is written on our hearts. We're all curious whether you're a believer or not and what happens in life after death. And there's certainly so many accounts of it, um, both good and bad, of people who have, in fact, medically died and come back, and they've talked about perhaps a visit to uh, heaven or a visit to hell um, and, you know, the warnings. Uh, and so, you know, I just kind of wanted to say we, we are all, in fact, going to be, and, and hopefully you'll see this at the end here as I, as I start to walk you through these examples, that we are, in fact, that much closer to Jesus. So, as I said, I wanted to talk about the, the prophetic, and I wanted to just highlight a couple of scriptures um, on, on the purpose of prophecy and why God lays out the end from the beginning, which is what he says. Um, Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all of my pleasure. So, you know, the Lord is saying that time, he, he controls time, he controls the events. Jesus, in Luke 24, 25 through 27, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Notice the, and I put the emphasis on all, not just some. Ought not, to, ought not the Christ to have glorified these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all of the prophets? Second uh, Timothy, Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. So there's plenty of uh, uh, evidence, and, and I've highlighted this, I've, I've documented or I've uh, recorded a video called Critical Thinking uh, and, and, and God, or Critical Thinking uh, and, and the Bible. I forget what the exact name of it, but the, my, my point was to lay out all of the evidence of what the Lord had laid, uh, described in the Bible and it was written in his word. It did, in fact, come to pass, and, and I've covered so much of that. But again, if you are a skeptic, I would ask that you, uh, that, that you check that out. So, but prophecy here is spoken of to encourage you, to give you that assertion, if you will, that the Lord is in fact alive, the Lord is well, and the Lord is calling you. He's created you for such a time as this. So now I'm going to go to some of, I'm going to set this foundation of what Jesus laid out and then show you the empirical evidence and the proof that this is in fact the last days. So Matthew 24, 3, uh, the signs of the end of the age. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things come? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So notice that he's, they're asking, what are the signs? And Jesus lays this out, and this is called uh, the Olivet Discourse. 
So Jesus, in uh, moving up to verse 32 in chapter 24 of Matthew, and he says this, when, when he's talking to them about the end, now learn this parable of the fig tree, and the fig tree is the symbol of Israel. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, and this is the key, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. So he's, he's, he's setting it up, saying that Israel ba basically has brought forth her leaves, and we know this, and I'm going to break this down very shortly, that Israel has in fact arrived on the scene as we know it in, in today's geopolitical landscape, but also uh, the, the foundation of, of the Bible. So he says, noted that this generation shall not pass. So I wanted to, to, to define what a generation is in the Bible. And if we look at Psalm 90 verse 10, the days of our lives are 70 years and if by reason of strength, they are 80 years. So somewhere between 70 to 80 years is what a generation is defined in the Bible. So I wanted to go, you know, dig a little bit deeper. Before I do, I'm just going to point out Matthew 24, 32 through 44. Um, well, let me start with verse 30, yeah, 36, I'm sorry. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as these days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. So he's, he's giving you the comparison. It was as in the days of Noah. For in the days of Noah, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know that the, until the flood came and took them all away, so it will also be as the coming of the Son of Man. So he's giving you that, that comparison and a warning, just as Noah was giving the warning to the people of his time, but nobody listened to him until the rains came and the flood came. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. So He's giving you that comparison that, uh, you know, you, you could have husband and wife, potentially, friend, co-worker, whatever, and when that time comes, one, you know, one of those people could be left and the other be taken. So we're, we're, nobody is guaranteed just because you're a good person that you will, in fact, enter into uh, uh, the gates of heaven. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, not everyone that calls me Lord, Lord, will enter into my kingdom. So, you know, I say that because so many people believe they are going to heaven based upon their works when this has nothing to do with it. Um, but but I, I wanted to say, emphasize what the next statement was. He says, watch, therefore. And this is what I'm saying to you is watch. So I'm going to watch the signs, lay out the signs, because he's telling us to watch. And so I'm, I'm, that's what I'm kind of drawing this on, that one word, watch. Uh, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed the house to be broken into, naturally. So if a thief is coming, you would be, you know, you would be ready. But he's saying you do not know. So you need to be ready. You need to be watching. You need to be on alert. Therefore, also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. All right, so I've kind of laid this foundation out, why we need to be watching. It could be at any time and at any moment. 
and now I've said that <clears throat> the, 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 the term of generation is somewhere between 70 to 80 years. And I wanted to emphasize this time. So if I went back a generation and so let's say it's 80 years and I'm in 2023, so that would bring me back to 1943. So what evidence would we have in 1943 that the end is near? And I would say not much. Uh, you really don't have a lot. And I'm going to show you uh, right here. I'm cutting to video. Uh, 1943, giving you some highlights of things. And, and naturally, this was the, you know, the biggest thing that happened at this time is World War II, uh, where, where you had uh, Nazi Germany and Hitler and Mussolini and others. And, you know, it, 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 it was the, the war to, it's supposed to be the war to end all wars. But I'm going to point out some of the things that we could look to that the Bible laid out. In 1897, the first Congressional Zionist Congress happened, and this would have been in what the, the land was called at the time. It wasn't a nation, but it was called Palestine, which we know as Israel today. Um, uh, Eleazar ben Yehuda, he um, drove or was the leading um, uh, proponent of bringing back the Hebrew language. And that is uh, outlined in Zephaniah 3.9 and Jeremiah 31.23, that the language, the Hebrew language would be restored. And that is a significant development prophetically, you know, that not only did, and you'll see eventually the country does come back, but a language that was gone for 2,000 years has in fact been uh, been called back. So we can look at 1943 and say, yeah, you know what, that was, that language was being spoken. It was uh, the books and the papers and the, and the articles of the day and, and the roads were being named in, in, in Hebrew. Um, <clears throat> 1917 was the Balfour Direct Declaration. So that was where the British signed over the land uh, and, and, uh, of what they were able to cap capture from the Turks and the Ottoman Empire and recognized that the Jewish people do in fact have a land to be restored. So you can point to the fact, now Israel wasn't a nation at this time, but you can in fact point to a sign that the groundwork was in fact being laid out. And then Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14, I would say that this was a sign that came to pass and it was, we were witnessing it. Uh, we were in the middle of it in, in maybe a little past the middle in 1943. So I wanted to read um, Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy unto them. I'm going to cut back to video for a second. And um, if I can get that to go. There we go. So the middle picture, <coughs> you can see these, um, uh, the, holo the people, the men in here in the Holocaust, and, you know, you can count the ribs. That's how skinny and frail and, and the hope and the despair that has gone from them. And I would say this is where we are seeing can these bones live? Because if you're looking at these people at that time, you know, they're so hopeless. They're probably all in these picture looks like they're probably all under 100 pounds. They're, they're you know, malnutrition, you know, under the harshest conditions. But this is what was happening in 1943. And this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you home from them. So that's a very, very significant development. 
So in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this hopelessness where the world is coming against the Jewish people and, and you know, the, the, the atrocities and the horrors of what we saw in Poland and, and, and Germany and Russia and, and other locations of Eastern Europe, Jesus is saying, or the Lord is saying right there, that I will bring you out of this into the land of Israel. And if you're a Holocaust member, you're a Jewish person at this time, no matter where you are in the world, you're thinking all hope is gone, the world is against us. And, and yet Jesus, you know, the Lord is, when I would say Jesus and, and the Lord are one, they are prophesying, saying, "You, I will bring you back. And this is where I'm going to start to lay this out now. Um, I'm going to go to now 1948. I'm going to go back 75 years. So half of what the, the Bible is, is saying potentially could be a generation. And what do we know about 1948? Well, 1948 is a very, very significant year because this is, in fact, the year that the, uh, the state of Israel was, in fact, born, May 14th, 1948. And I show you some things here um, on video. Uh, so for all my podcast listeners, there's a, a, a headline there in the Palestine Post saying the state of Israel is born. Um, David Ben-Gurion addressing the, the Zionist Congress um, and, and declaring you know, that, that Israel is, in fact, on the map. And it was brought about um, by by Harry Truman, he was the first nation to sign on and to support the rebirth uh, of, of the state of Israel. And, and Ben-Gurion later came out, I believe he gave him a menorah and said, you know, he was called by the Lord. And side note, um, Truman replaced, as many people know, uh, Harry Truman was the president at this time. He had replaced uh, Franklin Re- uh, Roosevelt, who died. And Roosevelt was not in support of, 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 of the state of Israel. So I just find it interesting that, that Truman replaced him, and he was. And that's really where I would say that that was the first major sign, and I would say it's the super sign that this nation is, in fact, born again back uh, the way the Lord described it. And I'm going to just show you a couple of other things. But the day after, May 14th, 1948, on May 15th, all of, not all, but many of the surrounding nations and and the Arabs came against, and that's where you had the first Arab-Israeli war. In in less than a day, they they were attacking, they were outraged, and you know, how how could this happen? So now I'm going to dig into the scriptures and to the historical references that we can document. Isaiah 11, 11, 12 says this, that the Lord shall set his, his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who were left from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, gathered together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Notice he, in fact, even calls it Israel. Israel wasn't even a nation, but, you know, it, it was referred to as the land of Palestine, but in, in, in Isaiah, he's calling it Israel. He's saying, I will call them back. But notice he says a second time. So, and historical records, again, bear this out. Israel was defeated by the Babylonian Empire, and this is where you have the book of Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar. So that was the first time for 70 years, and then um, uh, the Medo-Persian Empire uh, you know, allowed them to, to, uh, to come back. So that was the first time when they came back to Israel. Then the second time, he says, I'm going to do, he said, uh, the first time was you would be uh, bringing captive to Babylon. Now you're going to be bringing captive to 
the four corners of the earth. So you're going to be dispersed. And that is, in fact, what we have come to see and observe, that the Jews were dispersed all over the world, and they came back a second time. So think about that. Process that. Here is a nation, a civilization that's been destroyed not once, twice, and has gone for 2,000 years and now has come back and been restored exactly as the Lord said it was. So that was, that's number one. And number two is this. I'll cut back to video. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. I'm reading Isaiah 66, 7 and 8. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children, born in a day. So Isaiah says, how can a nation be born in a day? We do, in fact, have seen Israel was born in a day, May 14th, 1948. And I bring you back to what the uh, the newspaper heading was, State of Israel is Born. So it's it's reporting exactly what the Bible laid out. Um, so and, and the other thing I wanted to point out here that I found interesting, and I just, I never saw this before until I started uh, studying for this. Uh, in Matthew 24, 4, 8, Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you. That's the first warning. Let me just say this. When the disciples wanted to know what will be the signs of your coming, the first thing Jesus says, don't be deceived because people, deception will be part of it. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. Before I get to that, think about it. I know that there's been wars and rumors of wars, but I believe now I believe there's over 50 nations right at this time where I am in February of 2023 that are either at war or rumors are close to war. You could give an example of, say, China to Taiwan. They're not engaged in war, but there's the threat of that. China's claiming Taiwan as sovereign territory. Taiwan is trying to get ready to defend itself. So that's what I mean. But then there's the actual wars. We can look at Russia, Ukraine. Uh, other parts of Europe that are that are helping the Ukrainians, the Americans, and so forth. <clears throat> so many people will say, okay, we've always seen that. But he says famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. We're seeing famines like <clears throat> never before, the threat of, of famine because of the war in Russia and Ukraine. Um, pestilences. Think about what we've seen over the last three years since 2020, spring of 2020. Um, this is the first occurrence that was global and worldwide uh, since the flood. So the flood would have been, the flood of Noah would have been a global and worldwide catastrophe. But what we saw with the uh, the onslaught, I can't, I can't say the word on here uh, because it gives off a warning, but you know, you get the idea. Um, this pestilence that occurred in the spring of 2020, that was a global uh, impact. So we've seen that. And then earthquakes in various places. Just several weeks ago, we saw the worst case of earthquakes in, in world history documented in what was happening in Turkey and Syria and in other parts of the world. 
But, you know, where I sit now, almost, I think it's 46,000 people have died. Over 100,000 people were, were injured. It, it, all in total, it was over 100 earthquakes in the, in, the re, in the area of Turkey and Syria. Just horrible, tremendous. So Jesus is saying, uh, and, and I'll bring it right to the end here. He says, these are the beginnings of sorrows, or another translation for that is birth pains. So if you're a woman, you certainly understand the pains of, of birth pains that are coming. You know, they come before the actual birth. And this is what Jesus is saying, that the famines, the plagues, the pestilences, wars, rumors of wars, deception is going to come beforehand. So he gives this, but it says that these are the beginnings of sorrows. Now, if I go back to Isaiah, it says this, before she was in labor, she gave birth. Think about that. What do you mean by that? How do you give birth before you're in labor? Before her pain came, she delivered a male child. The male child is, is, is known as, as, as Israel. So... Then the birth pains come, and it's just as what history laid out. Israel was born in a day, then the 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 uh, onslaught of these birth pains began to accelerate and, and, and more and more. So exactly as what was laid out, that's what we can see. Those are two examples. Israel being coming back into onto the scene and twice, and then uh, being born in a day, just just as the Lord laid out. Now, the third reason is we're going to look at the destruction of of Jerusalem from what Jesus laid out. So Jesus says this, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. I'm in Luke 21, 20 through 24. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people. So this is, again, Jerusalem. I'm emphasizing, he starts with Jerusalem. And and then he goes on to say, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. This is what happened uh, approximately 70 AD, where the, the, the Jews were dispersed to all nations. Jerusalem was captured. And then it says, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles, which is everybody outside of the Jews, until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So right there, he's saying Jerusalem is going to be held by the Gentiles. And even in 1948, when uh, the state of Israel was born, they only controlled half of Jerusalem. Then you had the 1967 Six-Day War, and that's where uh, it was another clear miracle where, you know, Israel was surrounded by enemies and and they came against them. And in six days, they not only defeated all of their enemies and the surrounding neighbors, the Syrians, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, uh, the Lebanese and others, that um, they captured the land. You know, they that's where they recaptured the Golan Heights, the Sinai Peninsula and East Jerusalem. So now Jerusalem is back in the hands of the Jews. So the destruction of Jerusalem, then comes the times of the Gentiles, and now the times of the Gentiles have entered because Jerusalem is, in fact, under Jewish control. I would say, I'll preface it by saying, outside of the Temple Mount, um, they have they have military government control of that area, but the, the mount itself is, is governed by the Jordanians, uh, you know, where you have the Alaska Mosque. 
Um, so that's three. Number four, um, I'm going to go to Jeremiah now. So hopefully, uh, I'm just going to show you a map here that I think is important. So if the podcast listeners, I'll describe it. Um, Jeremiah 16 says this, uh, 14 through 15. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that it shall no more be said, the Lord lives with who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt. The Lord lives who brought up the children from Israel from the land of the north and from all the lands he had driven them. So I'm, I'm pointing out in the middle here on video, if you are in Israel and in Jerusalem and you go due north, as far north as you can go, you go right up into Russia and I show you, it's almost a direct line from Jerusalem to Moscow. I mean, that's how uh, close it is. And he also says in 31.7.9, Jeremiah, behold, I will bring them from the north country. So since 1989, where you had the fall of the uh, uh, fall of communism, fall of the Berlin Wall, 1.7 million Jews have emigrated from Russia since 1989. 1.7 million. Many ministries going over to Israel today will say they, in fact, need to be have account to be able to speak Russian if they're going to be ministering the gospel there, because there's so many Russian Jews that are now in Israel. 1.7 million. So I would say that's clearly a fulfillment of what Jeremiah laid out. So not only am I going to call them back from all, all the ends of the earth, he's saying specifically here from the north. You take a compass, you go due north from Israel, due north from Jerusalem, it's straight into Russia. We see all of these Jews coming back. As a matter of fact, if you look into today's headlines, uh, Putin was trying to come against the Jewish people who were trying to flee, trying to uh, hold them there um, in Russia because more and more are trying to get out and, and, and get restored. So that's number four. Number five is knowledge. I'm going to bring you back to uh, knowledge and travel. Daniel uh, 12.4 says this, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end shall run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. So I want to bring, bring this back to video here. Well, actually, let me just say this. Picture the, the turn of the century, 19, the turn of the 20th century. Um, 19, say from 1900 to 1920, we were still predominantly horse and buggy, you know, that, that was our mode of transportation. And then think about the acceleration of knowledge, particularly, you know, from the 80s to the 90s to where we are. So there has been studies. So knowledge first doubled during the Industrial Revolution. By the mid-20th century, knowledge doubled again. 20 years later, it doubled again. 1990, you have the advent of, of computers coming online. Uh, then it doubled again in 1995 to the point where today, and, and just think about things. Think about all of the information that's at your fingertips. Uh, if you're online in your, in your mobile phone, you know, that's a computer in itself. All of the knowledge and the information that's just held in that tiny little device or the tiny microchips that, that are part of this to the point now where we know knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. So if I go back 120 years or 100 years to where we are now, it, 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 it's just astounding the exponential increase in knowledge, how it's just, boom, it's moving. But he also says, and many shall run to and fro, travel to and fro. Think, And I brought up about the horse and buggy to the automobiles and the trains, uh, you know, 
uh, and locomotives to the point where airplanes. And now, you know, where I sit today and you sit, 2023, people are, are, are going into space. And this is not government agencies. You know, some of the more influential and Amazon and Bezos and uh, um, I, uh, I forget the guy's name, Richard Brantry uh, from Virgin, uh, where people are going into space. They're taking rocket ships. So that's how just this last hundred years, you think about going from a horse and buggy or from a, a, a train to now I can fly into outer space. So as Daniel laid this out, this is exactly what we're seeing. And he said, this will be a sign of the end because the, 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 uh, uh, the angel Gabriel told him to shut the book until the time of the end. He says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. So this is, and this was the sign of the time of the end. Um, I, I'm just going to give you a montage of images. Think about not only everything I just described, but now think about artificial intelligence and where that's going. And I'm, I'm giving you some some images here. And there was a Will Smith movie. I think it was called iRobot or something like that. And and I think it's almost like we're we're almost that close to it where you know the premise of the movie was that robots were actually thinking on their own outside of the control and the domain of man, and I'll give you an example of what's happening today, um, where where artificial intelligence you have uh, this AI chatbots that are coming online and you know they they've already said that this will have more information. Um, within a year th than anywhere else on earth. And, you know, you think about where that will go in 50 years. So machines will have more information, but the danger is they're being programmed to, um, to deliver the information with a certain curve, a certain premise. I've described this recently in January headlines uh, that, that I laid out in, in uh, I think it was at the beginning of this month in February. But, you know, my point is anybody can see this. So what I'm saying to you is nothing new. You know, everybody recognizes this. And, and this is the age of, of which is becoming, you know, quite dangerous, I would say. Um, next, and, 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 you know, we're coming up to what, what I would describe as number six, the great apostasy. And Second Thessalonians says this. Um, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you. There we go back to that deception word. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and every man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed of, to destruction. I'm going to jump down to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, which is an, another word for Satan uh, or description, one, uh, the coming of the, of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. Actually, the say, I'm sorry. The lawless one would have would be the Antichrist himself, who was empowered by Satan. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that they serve the lie and all the ways that the wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. I'm going to go to video here. Uh, and, and also to be saved. So they're they're rejecting God. They're, they're saying, we know better. We know better than what you laid out, the laws, the commandments of the Lord. Um, for, you know, if, for this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And, and I would say that I'm going to give you some examples of what we see today, that that is clear, that is abundant, that is right upon us right now as I speak. 
I, you know, I, whether you're a believer or not, I think you can acknowledge the fact that upside up is down, down is up, east is west, north is south. It's the whole world is changing and just so quickly, so profoundly. And and I would see some of the things. Well, here, let me give you some examples of what I see. And I'm I'm looking at this from a um, from a. Uh, a regard to the Lord and what he laid out and what he looks views as sin and, and as an abomination. And I'm going to point some things out here. And in, in a lot of this is our culture in America, but I, I know this is happening around the world. And, you know, I'm talking about the the prevalence or the indoctrination of, of sex amongst children, um, changing uh, sexual surgeries. You know, you're I think it's in 47 states now uh, that, that they've approved um, that you can change your sex from a boy to a girl, a girl to a boy. You know, and I give you the example on video. Uh, then you have um, uh, uh, transgenders uh, and, and, and others that are infiltrating libraries and story hour now. They're in churches, people. Now, you know, this is... These are supposedly, you know, we're denominational Christian churches, but they want to appease the culture because if you say that a certain thing is a sin, that, you know, then, and you don't agree with what's being kind of forced down your throat, then you are ostracized. So unfortunately, here we see apostasy in the church where they're engaging the culture rather than engaging the Lord. And this is really, if you think about it, this is exactly the downfall of the Israelis if, uh, or the, the Hebrews at the time. If you go back to the time of Moses and, and, and the Torah, you know, they, they rejected God. They went for the things of, this, of, of the world at that time and false gods and, and, and child sacrifice. And, you know, you can say that you see a, a parallel to what we see in abortion today. But the lawlessness too, I, I, you know, I point out where in America you had the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and um, their people were, they found out the addresses of the Supreme Court justices that voted to change the, this law, and they protested in front of them, and, you know, just gross, uh, just an abuse of the law. So you are not allowed to do this. This is against the law, but yet the Justice Department would not uphold that. They allowed these things to take place. So again, because it was serving their purpose of, of, of trying to drive this information. You have the uh, pregnancy life centers were, are, are being attacked and, you know, just being decimated. And, you know, uh, if, if a, many of them written, have written the words, if abortion is not safe, neither are you. So those are direct threats. And yet, you know, much of the culture is turning a blind eye towards the evil that's uh, prevalent here. I give you the example of Kirk Cameron, who recently wrote a children's book, and it's, you know, biblically based, biblically principled. Over 50, he went to give story hour. So many, many authors, you encourage this in libraries and bookstores, and especially for children, you want to have story hour. It's a means of attracting public in and, and bringing people in. This has been happening in our, our, our culture for probably over 100 years. And he's being turned down by over 50 public libraries in America. And these same are allowing trans to come in, transgenders and and others to speak to uh, you know their their version of story hour, and they're allowed. But yet, if you're coming in with the notion of a boy is a boy and a girl is a girl, then 
you know, you're, you're being ostracized. So that's where I'm, I'm trying to point out that, you know, these are, this is another sign. It's a, and, and again, I'll, I'll say it, you see it in, you know, in churches today that they're, they're guilty of it. And, you know, it's laid out in the Lord, in, in, in the Lord's uh, word that these things must come to pass before Jesus comes back. I'm going to give you one other blatant example of just how bad it is. Uh, th- there is a bi- non-binary person who classifies themselves as a non-binary assistant professor at Old Dominion University is trying to uh, normalize the term MAP. And MAP is a pedophile. So they, he does, they don't like the word pedophile, so they want to remove that from the dictionary. They want, you know, we, you're not a pedophile. You're a minor attracted person. So think about that. They're endangering children and they're trying to appease it and change the laws. And, and you know, this is the degree. This is, uh, you know, how far that we've come. As a matter of fact, just recently, I think last month it came out, uh, getting back to Webster's I believe it's Webster's dictionary. They're removing the word sin. So they don't want to so they don't want to look at it. They don't even acknowledge the Lord. So sin is being removed when Jesus in fact has come for the redemption of mankind for our sins. So you know, that's the sixth and I'm going to point the the the, the last one is global anti-Semitism. It's happening around the world. Uh, you know, where I speak, you know, the Israelis are being condemned. They're being called occupiers and uh, this is their land, and yet they're being told, even as I speak today in the UN, I believe it's going forth uh, a, a vote today um, because they are build, uh, 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 constructing homes in the West Bank, and they're being told that they, or the world is trying to say that you can't do it, or we'll boycott you, or we'll come against you. And we, you know, where I sit in America, we don't even know how our administration is going to vote. Uh, because there's been a lot of lack of support for Israel, you know, recently, you can certainly point to, you know, hundreds and thousands of years of anti-Semitism, highlighted certainly by what I uh, I mentioned earlier with uh, World War II and the Holocaust, and but we see it today. You see it happening around the world today. Jews are being attacked for being Jews. So that's an unnatural spiritual hatred. That's not something that a child grows up with unless they are taught that way. So, you know, and and the scriptural references I'll give you is this. Zechariah 12, 1 through 3 says this, I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. So he's talking about the end of, of, of tribulation. But if you think about Jerusalem, the world is fighting for Jerusalem, and that's exactly what the Lord said would happen. Why Jerusalem? Why that tiny piece of land that's roughly the size of New Jersey or Lake Michigan? This tiny piece of land is being fought because there is a spiritual war. There, and, and we are in the middle of it, whether you like it or not. And just so just as the Lord laid out, and I say these things because the Lord is giving you that guarantee. Zechariah writing this thousands of years ago, Joel 3, 1 through 2 says this, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. I will enter into judgment. So Jesus is coming to judge on account of people, my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the, uh, scattered among the nations and divided up my land. 
here I sit in America, our government is trying to squeeze or force the hand of Israel to divide up their land. They're actually pushing to get back to the pre-1967 borders, which would be suicide for them. That would give them a, a, a width of, I think, nine miles from east to west of territory that they could uh, defend themselves with. I mean, you know, this is the, the insanity of what, we're, what, what is happening and the UN and the world is, is is participating in it. And again, this is exactly what the Lord laid out. So um, I, I, I hope I presented a case that we are, in fact, living in the last days. And none of this is designed to, if you're a believer in Jesus, it's not enough. It's, it's not to scare you, alert you, but it is to heighten your senses that we are to sh- share the gospel. You know, the book of Revelation closes with, you know, I am coming and I am coming soon. We don't know what soon is. We don't know whether it's tomorrow, a year, two years, five years, 10 years. We don't know. But the signs are based upon what we can see and what we can recognize, what we have witnessed with ourselves and and, and, and recent historical records. Again, everything I laid out Come, came to fruit within uh, came to fruition within the last 75 years. So what does that mean if you are a skeptic? What does that mean if you are not a believer in Jesus? And I would just bring you to uh, you know, what what the Lord what, what is called the sinner's prayer. I'll put this on video. Um, if, if you have a question, I would just ask you know repeat or watch this uh, on video. It says this. And, and you can put it in your own language, your own vernacular, however you communicate. It says, Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer asking for the forgiveness of my sins. I confess with my mouth, believe in my heart that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross at Calvary, that I might be forgiven and have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven and earth. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead, and I ask you now to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins, worship, will worship you all the days of my life because your word is truth. I confess with my mouth that I am born again and cleansed by the blood of Jesus in Jesus' name. And you can just put your name at the end of that. Um, it, it is literally that simple. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know, my mission, my heart is, is to present information that bears the veracity of Christ and Scripture. And it's really twofold. It's for one, to give information to you if you are a non-believer, if you're a skeptic, if you're an atheist or an agnostic, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you've done in life, it doesn't matter. Jesus loves you. Jesus came for you. And and you have that opportunity. And he says, I knock on the door of your heart, but will you answer? And that's that that's up to you. And the second reason I do this is because I'm hoping this information uh, it, it helps others that are believers that they may share this information uh, with others in their sphere of influence and skeptics and uh, perhaps others that they may be praying or believing, you know, that uh, believing for family ones, loved ones, co-workers, so forth. So um, that's it. I, I hope you uh, took something out of this. I, I, I appreciate your time. I really do. Uh, my name is Mark. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, As always, just my opinion.